0: all right good morning it 's a pleasure to be here. Um, I grew up in this area. I went to Lee High School and I graduated from there in two thousand uh, went to Virginia Tech and studied engineering and had no idea that God had a different plan for me than engineering and In two thousand and five, through some very interesting circumstances that maybe i 'll share another time uh, how God led me to korea but uh, God, indeed, led me to go to South Korea at the end of 2005 and live in a children's home. And I lived in the children's home for three years with the kids. I started an NGO called Jerusalem Ministry, which is a volunteering ministry serving the orphans in the homes, camps, Christmas Secret Angel, things like that. And then over the years, uh, I also started a scholarship and mentoring program for orphans that graduate from high school and, and get into college. And we named that Oak Tree Project. And uh, to add to the ministries, uh, there is Come Quickly Ministry, uh, which was established here in the journey uh, as a sending mission. And so Come Quickly Ministries uh, raises support and sends it to Jerusalem Ministry, to Oak Tree Project, and to me and the other missionaries with me now uh, in South Korea. Uh, The journey sent me, uh, this is the church that sent me back in 2005, and I've been so blessed by the prayer support and by the love in this community. It's changed a lot. Uh, there used to be rooms in the back. There used to be a lot less people, um, but the love and the warmth has only grown uh, over the past 13 and a half years. In 2011, I married my lovely wife, Skye, and uh, we've been so happy doing life together in Korea. And uh, today, I want to share with you all about one of those ministries. Uh, it's Oak Tree Project. And this is the scholarship and mentoring program for the orphans. And I want to share why God led me to start it, and then a couple cool testimonies that have come out of this ministry so far. So I moved into the home at the end of 2005. I couldn't speak any Korean, and uh, I struggled, you know, just waved to the kids. I learned how to say, Azeo or Anyang hello, to the kids, and that was my communication for a while. And it gradually developed, and by my second year in the home, I began to know the kids' stories a bit more, and I also saw the condition of the kids after they left the orphanage. You see, kids that grow up in orphanages in South Korea, they start from baby or whenever they're just put in the home, and they live there until they graduate from high school. And in Korea, once you graduate from high school, you are an adult, and um, you are on your own. You are sent out from the orphanage. You usually have to leave within a couple days after graduating from high school. And uh, the government in Korea, they give these kids in Seoul $5,000 and that's about it. $5,000 and they go. And the orphanage will try and find them a place to live or some sort of job, but the orphanage has their own 80 kids or 90 kids or however so many kids to take care of. So usually once the graduates leave, they're gone. And um, these kids, they struggle. And my first year after living there, seeing some of the graduates go, one of them committed suicide. Uh, another fell into deep depression, I uh, began to find out about sex trafficking, uh, gangs. Uh, orphans are the number one prey for very illicit activities. Um, they're vulnerable, they're lonely, uh, and they're easy targets. And my volunteering staff, as I grew and, and got different partners working with me, and we began to meet more and more kids, we discovered that kids that got into college were actually an even greater target. because they not only had to pay for their living expenses, they also had to pay for their tuition. And so for a lot of them, they would attend school while working full time. Uh, For one of the girls that uh, we we mentored before Oak Tree Project, her schedule was she would wake up in the morning and she would go work at a kindergarten all day until about five o'clock. Then she would go and take her night classes and get home around 11 o'clock. And then she would study until she would fall asleep. And that was her day in and day out and day in and day out. And usually on the weekends, she would sleep a lot because she'd be so exhausted from the week. She would have no time for friends. Uh, She didn't have family for emotional support. So our one staff member who would be in touch with her would usually get a phone call from her once a week and she would just cry, just cry, being so overwhelmed, so lonely, so desperate, struggling because she didn't have time to study. She was failing her classes. Uh, It was really difficult for her. And um, my staff member, this missionary, she kept encouraging her. She would meet with her. She would build her up. And and she taught the student how to really rely on the Lord. And as the student began to rely on the Lord more and more, peace began to fill her. She began to get more confidence. She still had the same working hours. She still had the same school hours. She still didn't have as much time to rest. But her soul was experiencing more rest through the Spirit. And soon her grades began to go up. And soon she went from failing and almost having to drop out to getting A's and doing so well. And we saw her condition, and then we saw the other students who didn't have a mentor, like, like my fellow missionary, who, who didn't have someone looking after them. And we saw their grades just plummet, plummet, and then them drop out but be in debt because they had to pay their tuition bills. And so they would look for easy money. And that's where they're easy targets for those, those illicit affairs. And so we felt on our hearts as a staff we needed to do something. And uh, it was it was a bit difficult to comprehend because we are already serving each in our own orphanages. We are raising our own support. So how could we raise more money to provide scholarships? How could we get mentors? But God said, do it. And so in 2013, we started Oak Tree Project, a scholarship and mentoring program for these orphans that get into college, where the mentor is paired with them until they graduate. The mentor calls them once a week, meets with them once a month, gives them a good meal. It's just family to them, family that they've never had. And then we provide $500 a month for living expenses, and this helps them not have to get full-time jobs during the semester. They have to work in the summers and the winters, uh, but during the semester, they're able to focus on their grades. And uh, we just started with four students. That was as many as my staff could handle, but we saw good fruit. And uh, I'm going to show you some pictures through the years. This first picture was in 2013. Those were four of our students and a couple of my staff. My wife is on the far left. Um... And uh, next picture is the following year, we accepted some more students, that's 2014. Next picture. 2015, we started Oak Tree Run, where every year we have a a 5K, 10K, half marathon uh, to raise funds for the orphans. Next picture. This is a summer outing, and uh, we went paintballing. And they all learned the the fear of John Michael, uh, as uh, (laughs) I had fun taking them all out. Next picture is the summer outing in, in 2017. We had a lot of fun together. And then next picture is from last July. And uh, that way we went rafting and had a big barbecue uh, at a river outside of Seoul. So you can see it's gradually grown with every year. And God has shown his faithfulness. Because when we started out, we had to raise about $26,000. And for missionaries living off of full-time support, that was just wow. Wow you know, we raised that much money. And then the next year we had to raise about $60,000 and then about $90,000. And then this past year it was about, I think it was about $170,000 that we raised. And this year we have 27 students uh, on the program, each with their own mentor committed until they graduate. And we've already had 16 students graduate through Oak Tree Project. And uh, we're so proud of each and every one of them. And I wanna share about two in particular that I have known since they were 10 years old uh, I came to the orphanage in 05, and I struggled communicating, but there were these two girls who were entering fifth grade who just had fun with me, and they were patient, and we would play card games, and they would laugh, and they would come to my room all the time, and they really made me feel welcome in the home, and I absolutely love them. Their names are uh, Simi and G.A. I'm going to show you pictures of them. So uh, on the left is Simi. And on the right is uh, G.A., and then on the far right is my wife, Sky. Uh, and they joined Oak Tree Project in 2014. Uh, I'll show the next picture. This is myself and Simi. This is back in 2006. She stayed the same throughout her <laughs> growing up, but uh, she's 10 years old in that picture. In uh, the next picture, we were playing hide-and-seek, and I could not find G.A. anywhere until I heard some rumbling in my washing machine. And... Uh, <laughs> There she was. And these girls were so precious to me. I just felt so welcomed by them. Their energy, their joy, their smiling, their patience with my language uh, barrier and, and all that. We had so much fun. And then in 2007, they began to enter puberty. And things changed. And I learned quickly that the sweet little girls suddenly don't turn so sweet anymore. And they were no longer smiling at me. They were no longer having so much fun. Every now and then, we'd have a moment, and it'd be so sweet, and then a lot of other moments, not so good. Well, not only did they become very down and distant and isolated, they began to get into a lot of trouble. And I remember one day uh, teaching, teaching them and a few other kids English when uh, they were called out of the room, and I looked outside, and a police car had come. And uh, the policeman was speaking uh, to one of them and then to, to their, their social worker. And I was very concerned. And when I asked the girl what happened, she said, oh, it's nothing, it's about someone else. But when I asked the social worker, she shared that uh, the girl had been running out at night uh, around two or three in the morning when everyone was asleep. And that the other night, the police found her wandering the streets uh, of Seoul about three in the morning. And uh, they grabbed this 11-year-old girl put her back in the patrol car and, and drove her back into the orphanage. And, um, I mean, just hearing that put so much fear in me that what if some man had grabbed her? What, what if something had happened while she was wandering the streets? What could happen to her? And I felt very helpless. What could I do to, to help her? And then it was around that time that I found out about the boy who had committed suicide and the other boy who was in deep depression. And I was learning more and more about the sex trafficking industry and I had so much fear for the girls in the present, but even more so, I had fear what will happen after they graduate. Because I can be with them in the children's home up until they are 18, but once they leave, I can't follow them. I can't live with them. I, I can't adopt them. What's going to happen? And even in that time in 2007, because they had already changed so much and they were so isolated and, and, and just cold towards me, I felt like I was doing nothing. I honestly, in 2007, I, I fell into depression. Not just because of those two, because of other kids as well, just feeling like I, I wasn't making an impact. I was finally learning the language, and as I was learning the language, I was discovering these kids curse a lot. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're not so obedient, you know, as I thought. It's, it's kind of nice when you don't understand what they're saying. And, uh,. I wanted to give up but there would be moments where I would just feel this grace on me and I knew it was from the people praying for me um, back home I knew that people were praying for me and I knew that that was sustaining me but it, it got pretty heavy at one point. Um, I, was just, I was just so low, and I went to my church, and uh, we had a prayer meeting that night, and I, I took, grabbed the prayer team beforehand, and I shared with them my struggles. I didn't share about the two girls, but I just shared the rejections and the hurtings and the helplessness and, and those things, and they prayed for me very fervently. They all prayed for me and prayed for me for about 10 minutes, and then they asked me, how are you, and I felt the same, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm okay, you know, I'm okay at her. It was a lie, you know, but uh, I was like, God, I'm, I'm just going to worship you, you know, that you're going to take this weight off of my shoulders. And I uh, went through the prayer meeting and worship, and I still felt that weight. But after the prayer meeting, one of the young ladies that prayed for me came up to me, and she said, you know, when we were praying for you, I, I saw a vision. And in this vision, uh, it was this high balcony, and I saw these two young girls, and they were running to the balcony, and they jumped off. And then I saw you running behind and you got to the edge of the balcony and you reached down and your arms just, they stretched and you're able to catch them and pull them up onto the balcony and then in front of you were all these kids and you reached out to hug and your arms just stretched out and you're able to hug them all. She said, I I don't know if that means anything to you. And I, I immediately thought of Semi... And I felt God speaking to me so strongly that in the natural, I really can't do much. That in the natural, my arms are too short to save these girls. But in the spiritual, through prayer, through the spirit of God, through the love of Jesus Christ, all things are possible. And that God's going to take care of these kids. He's a father to the fatherless. He loves them far more than I love them. He cares for them far more than I could ever care for them, and he will be faithful. And um, it was in that moment that I really surrendered those two girls to the Lord and uh, and the other kids for that matter, because who knows what would happen in the future, but God, I will be faithful in prayer, and I will look to you, and I'm just going to see what you're going to do. So I want to share about what's happened. For These two girls, you see, uh, they, they came out of that dark stage, thankfully, in, in 2008 or so. They began to come back to the and Chie that I knew, and I continued to teach them until uh, ninth grade, and we had a lot of fun together, although dynamic had changed a bit, you know. They were more young women at that point, um, but we would still have fun when I would teach them, and then they entered high school. I didn't see them as much, and then they graduated, but by the time they graduated, Oak Tree Project was in its second year. And I told them, please apply to Oak Tree Project. They applied, uh, and uh, Chie was accepted, but Simi, we didn't have enough money. And it broke my heart that we had to call and tell her that she wasn't accepted. And I, I was questioning God, but I was saying, God, you've, you've, you've been faithful up to this point. These girls haven't fallen into deep trouble, you know. I'm trusting you. Well, uh, about a week or so before the semester began, I got a phone call from one of the prayer supporters for Oak Tree Project. He lived in Japan, and he asked, uh, you know, God put it on my heart to give some money. I, I want to sponsor a student. Is there a kid that wasn't ex- accepted that I can sponsor? And I immediately thought of Semi, And I remember calling her, and just tears welling up, telling her that you're going to be on Oak Tree Project. I'm going to get to see you another four years. Uh, And I'm so excited. And she was so excited as well. And so for Simi, I'll share about her first. She got into a Christian university uh, and studied social welfare. And um, while she was at the university, she was being mentored by a friend of mine. And she was very distant early on. And that's the case for most orphans. They've never had family. And so when you suddenly put a stranger in their life that's going to call them once a week and meet up with them once a month, it feels like an obligation. It feels like work, and so she'd be distant for a while, but gradually the ice started to melt, and they started connecting, and uh, in her second year, uh, Semi got baptized, and so we went to the baptism, and at the baptism, we discovered that one of the boys getting baptized was her boyfriend. I'm like, oh, yay, you know, uh, (laughs) happy, happy for you, you know. And uh, then we found out that the boy was a pastor's son, not the pastor of that church, but uh, uh, from a different area in Korea. He was a pastor's son. And Simi, while she was attending that church, uh, that pastor at that church came up to her and said, the boy that you're dating uh, is the son of a pastor, and uh, I know that you grew up in an orphanage, and um, I want to ask you to break up with him. Because orphans shouldn't be together with someone um, of his standing, uh, with, with a pastor's son. And she shared that with her mentor. And we were just, she was hurt, you know, um, feeling so rejected. A stigma against orphans uh, in Korea uh, where Confucianism is so strong, bloodline is so strong. If you're an orphan, you don't have family. That means you have no bloodline. That means you're a nobody. Nobody. And so the prejudice against them is very strong, and that's another reason why they fall into desperate activities, because oftentimes they won't get hired, or they'll get cheated, um, they'll face harassment. And she was getting a big taste of that. And I, I feared that she was going to curse God, because honestly, if a pastor told me that that you are not worthy to date a pastor's daughter, I would think, "Well, then I guess I'm not worthy before God, and I'm not going to go to church anymore. But thankfully for Simi, we kept praying for her and she didn't become bitter against the church or against God. She did end up breaking up with him, but I don't think because of that, I think just over time they decided to break up. And uh, she continued to serve at another church. And uh, then she went on a missions trip and God began to stir in her and her heart began to just grow for God's justice. And uh, before her last semester, she had to take an internship of taking care of runaways because she was in social welfare, uh, that degree. And as she would speak to these high school students and junior high students, she could relate to them so much because she knew what it was to be an orphan and what it was to be alone. And she felt something come alive within her as she spoke to them. And so she shared with us that she longs to work in this sector and, and to mentor and to love and to help. And we are so blessed by that, by just the faith that was rising within her, the love of God rising within her. And that this young girl that I had known when she was 10 years old and had gone through some, some heavy times was now blooming into an oak, into an oak of righteousness, really wanting to reach out. And um, she was able to meet her, her sponsor, who sponsored her all four years, uh, just before she graduated. And uh, he came over from Japan. He, he works for, for Delta in, in Japan, and uh, he flew out, and we were having dinner. And uh, the mentor was translating most of the conversation for them. And afterwards, he just said to me, he was floored by her demeanor. And he said that if I had not known that she grew up in an orphanage or anything about her background, I would have assumed she grew up in a very healthy Christian family because she was so mature, so polite, and so confident. And that blessed me so much. And that just showed the fruit of the mentoring, the fruit of the prayers and the love of God Uh, in Simi's life. And I'll show you a picture of uh, her with that sponsor Um, there together, and her mentor uh, is on the right, Uh, so that's Simi on the far left. And then last year, um, next picture, is graduation. And uh, I was able to go, and uh, it was sweet because usually... Uh, the graduate will put their cap on father, and uh, you know, she, she put it on me, and I didn't expect that. But uh, it was really sweet, and uh, she ended up working in an orphanage and going in. And the very kids that we take care of at arts and crafts camp were the same girls that she was taking care of at the orphanage. And it was so beautiful at our arts and crafts camp this past January to see the condition of those girls and how healthy they were under her mothering uh, at that children's home. God is so good, amen? He's so faithful. And I want to share about the other girl as well. Her name is Chie. Uh, she was the other girl in the picture, the one that was in the washing machine. Uh, she got into college in Seoul studying nursing. She got into a pretty good school, a pretty competitive school. And her first semester, she struggled. And she got a GPA that was under our line. We have a standard of a 3.0, which is really more like a 2.7 here in America because they have a 4.5 system in Korea. So she got a, below that 3.0, which means she would not be able to receive the scholarship for a semester. But the first semester, she was just, oh, apologetic, oh, I'll do better, you know, and I'm sorry. That we gave her grace. Second semester, same results and uh, we knew that her study habits were great that she was playing a lot while she was at college that she was hanging out with different people and so we said look for one semester we cannot give you this scholarship you need to continue with the mentoring and if you take the phone calls you meet up once a month and you get your gpa back up we'll take you back and and give you the scholarship fund that may sound harsh but these kids need discipline and we've actually found that during those seasons we call it probation these kids transform the most because they actually have to rely on the Lord and their mentor. And during those six months, she worked at a restaurant. She was doing that busy full-time work while studying, while trying to get her GPA above a three zero And She would call her mentor crying, just overwhelmed. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I I don't have the help that all my classmates have. They they went to to good schools, and they have family supporting them. I don't have anybody. I'm a nobody. Just crying and crying. And the mentor would pray for her and encourage her. And she learned to pray as well. And the end of that semester, I get a phone call, and she says, J.M., I got a 3-3. <laughs> she was so happy, and it was so sweet getting a phone call from her. And then all my other staff got that same phone call. You know, Gee, I got a 3-3. Next, called the next staff and called the mentor. She was so happy, so proud of herself. We were so proud of her. And she began to grow in confidence, knowing how God had made her, understanding his love, the wisdom that he gives, and every semester after that, to the point where her last year, she was getting grades over a four zero. She was near the top of her class. And uh, we're so proud of her. And because she had to learn how to rely on the Lord and her mentor, her heart opened up to her mentor a lot more as well. She began to share traumatic memories. She began to share uh, just stuff that she had never shared with anyone in her life. And God began to bring healing to her. She graduated the same time uh, as Simi last year, and she got a job as a nurse in a hospital very close to where Sky and I live. God is good. Amen? You know, and G.A. And, uh, has shared with us the difference she's seen, not just in her life and in Simi's life, but we've had a lot of kids from my orphanage come into Oak Tree Project, and she's seen them change. And she's seen the contrast between the kids that get into Oak Tree Project and the kids that choose not to. And how these kids just fall away. They get just messed up with alcohol, with with other things. But the kids on our program really matured into adults. And uh, she shared with us that she too wants to become a mentor in our program. And she also shared uh, with one of my staff that while she was growing up, she would watch me and she noticed there was something different about the way I lived and the way that I acted. And she said to uh, one of my staff that, she saw most people walking the similar path, but for me, I was walking a different path. And she said to herself as she was growing up, I want to walk a different path as well. I want to walk the path uh, that that JM is walking, that path of love, that path of faith. And um, we've just been so blessed to see God's grace in these kids' lives. And you know, back in 2007, 12 years ago, I don't think i could have ever imagined them being on a program mentored by friends of mine and seeing them develop and not just be protected but rather rise up into oaks of righteousness rise up strong and now reaching out to other orphans being a mother to orphans serving in a hospital and being a nurse and taking care of sick patients being a blessing to society. You know, I I think when we look at victims of injustice, our initial thought is just feed them, just protect them, just preserve them. But God wants something far greater. And he has proven faithful. And it hasn't been by my arms. It hasn't been by my strength. It's been by the Spirit of the Lord. It's been by the prayers of the saints. And uh, I'll tell you that over those years, it wasn't just in 2006 and 2007 where I could feel the prayers of different supporters. And back then, I only had 20, 25 people praying for me, getting my, my email update. Um, but I could feel it, and I knew it's got to be the prayers of the saints. It, without the prayers, we could have all the money in the world. We could have all the educated people. But the Spirit of God, without Him, we're not going to make any impact. These kids are just going to fall, fall away. And so everywhere I speak, I ask for prayer support. I just yearn for prayer support. And we send a monthly update with just some stories about the kids, some prayer requests. It's not long because I know what it is to get those long missionary newsletters. I, I try and keep it brief but powerful and some prayer requests. And we see God work through those prayers. I mean, it's not by might nor by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. It's by the prayers of the saints that we see God move in mighty ways. And I want to close this message by... Sharing, uh, I'll show a picture, I'm sorry, of uh, Chie with her mentor. So that was her in college, uh, growing up more with her mentor. Uh, God has been so good. He has been so faithful in Simi and Chie's life. And there may be more twists and turns that may come. You know, in this orphanage ministry, we get these powerful testimonies. And then there's a, you know, they go through another dip and it's tough. But then God picks them up. And I've been there long enough now to say that God is faithful. Even through the twists and the turns, the disappointments, the hurts, the many prodigals that run away, God's been faithful. God's love is constant. It is eternal. And uh, I want to share, close this message by sharing what justice is and God's promise for those that we bring justice to. And so I'm going to read you a verse, Psalm eighty-nine, fourteen. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And I want to tell you, if God is enthroned in your heart, If he is the king of your heart, if Jesus is your savior, justice will be coming out of you. It's just natural. If he is the king of your heart, justice will be coming forth. But what is justice? There's not a clear definition in the Bible. And I even asked a a professor at a very well-known college, what's your definition of justice? He didn't know what to say. But this is what God has at least spoken to me over my many years serving these kids and, and studying the word. Here's the definition of justice, and this is your one blanks in your bulletin if you're taking notes. Justice is God's heart and God's decrees being revealed. You see, justice without God is arbitrary. People would say, oh, that's justice, and other people would say that's evil. True justice is God's heart and God's decrees being revealed. When Jesus was asked, what is love? How do I love my neighbor? His story was about the Good Samaritan. And how this man was broken and beaten, left on the side of the road, and the Samaritan man walked and he saw him. And he stopped, he bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, brought him to the inn, paid the innkeeper, and he moved on. We don't read about evangelism. We don't read about conversions. We don't read about ministry results. We don't read about any of that. But in God's eyes, what true love is, is seeing someone, and when you feel compassion, that's God's heart. There's a lot of broken people out there. Religion will say, you've got to reach them all, and that's not true. When Jesus walked in the pool of Siloam, there were tons of, of cripples and, and broken people, but his heart was moved for one in particular, and he went and spoke to that man. And for that good Samaritan, his heart was moved. For that broken man, he bandaged him, he brought him to a bed, he paid the money, He didn't stay with him. He didn't didn't try and convert him. There was no ulterior motive. It was just love. And that's justice. That's the Samaritan experiencing God's heart and God's decree of love, his decree to bind up the brokenhearted, these things being revealed, this man being an image of God, revealing God to this man. No ulterior motive. I'm just going to love. That's what justice is. And at the end of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, which is in your bulletin, it's a long passage about justice. I'm not going to read it right now. But there's a unique promise for those who receive justice, for those that we reach out to. And it says, they, those that we reach out to, they will be called oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That as we bind up the brokenhearted, as we proclaim freedom for the captives, as we comfort those who mourn, as we do the things in Isaiah 61, those that are receiving are not just going to be weak and get by through life. No, they're going to rise up as oaks above the storm. They're going to rise up and be a blessing, just like G.A. and Simi, to this broken world. And um, God's proven faithful, and I love the outreach ministry here. I love seeing those meals going forth. I love just the love that is in this house, and I want to challenge the journey to continue to bring justice to the community, not with some ulterior motive, not with some guilt, I have to save this many souls, or I have to do those things, that's not love, and I'll tell you with the orphans, the moment we start pushing Jesus on them, their hearts close because they, they can tell, oh, you don't love me, I'm just a mission, I'm just an objective but instead it's as we just love them with a genuine heart of not like you have to fit this cookie cutter and then I'm satisfied, but rather God's given me a love for you and I'm just going to love you and I'm just going to be with you. That's when their hearts soften and that's when they see Jesus in us and that's when suddenly they're asking the questions. Why do you pray? Why do you do what you do? GA watching me, why do you walk that different path? I want that. And that's when you get a true conversion. That's when you see someone not just accept Christ, but now know what it is to walk as a believer. Know what it is to love. So, Journey Church, I want to encourage you provide those meals. Do when you feel compassion, when you feel the Lord stir. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And go ahead and do it. You don't have to do a lot, don't let religion force you to do anything. Only when you feel that compassion, do it and be a blessing to this community. And um, for me personally, my request to you is there's a sign-up sheet in the back by uh, the coffee. And then out in the foyer as well, there's a few sign-up sheets. If you write down your name in your email, uh, I'll add you to my prayer support newsletter that I send once a month uh, via email. And you can pray for us. And I envy your prayers. And as you pray, my hope is that you'll feel God's heart. As you read these stories, you'll feel God's love for the broken and that God will bless you and that you'll know his love even more and more. Thank you, God, so much for having me. I'm going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, God. God, I thank you for the prayers of my parents, Lord, throughout my life as they prayed for me outside my bedroom. and. Um, as I prayed for my sisters. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that it's, it's not based on our own flesh, Lord. That we, it's, it's not based on us, God, because that pressure is too heavy, Lord. It's, it's, it's too heavy a weight to carry, God. But, Lord, we're able to cast our burdens to you. And we're able to know, Lord, that even our own flesh and blood, even our own children, Lord, you love more than we do. And you care about them. They're the apple of your eye. And I just pray a grace, Lord, over the church as they've heard these testimonies, Lord, that faith may be released as they're praying for their own sons and daughters, their own friends, Lord, those that are near to them and dear to them, Lord, God, that they will see you move. Even in supernatural ways, they will see you move. And Lord, I pray for your heart of justice as well to go forth, Lord, that they will feel your heart, Lord, for those particular people around them, God, just particular people. And that, Lord, as, as they reach out, God, and as they love or as they serve, as they, as they give, Lord, that they will see you move in beautiful ways. Lord, that your light will shine so brightly all throughout this community. You are faithful, God. I thank you that I can preach today, Lord, of your faithfulness, Lord. You've proven yourself time and time again, and you will continue to do that. We bless your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.